It is the next infrastructure. Uh, it is needed for economic development, just as a waterway or a highway or an airport. This is episode 220 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Medina County in Ohio is a growing community, in part because it's located between Cleveland and Akron, but also because it has invested in fiber optic infrastructure. The county has aggressively pursued a more connected environment for economic development, and it's working. In this interview, Chris talks with David Corrado, CEO of Medina County Fiber Network. He discusses the challenges, progress, and the history of how the community came to have its great asset. David also describes the role the county plays and how they work with internet service providers that use the infrastructure to serve customers. You can learn more details at medinacountyfibernetwork.com. And be sure to stick around after the conversation for a special treat at the end of this week's show. Now here are Chris and David Corrado, CEO of The Network. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with David Corrado, the CEO of Medina County Fiber Network in Ohio. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. How are you today? I'm I'm doing well, and uh, as we were we we're just joking a little bit about, and I actually I've, I've screwed it up in the first attempt, but it is Medina, um, spelled M-E-D-I-N-A, <laughs> which could be confused with Medina, and that happens sometimes. But tell us a little bit about the section of Ohio you're in. You know, what kind of of communities do you have? Well, we are about uh, 30 minutes uh, south of Cleveland. Uh, Medina County uh, is one of the counties that uh, had extensive growth in the 80s and 90s, about 75,000 households, um, roughly 8,500 businesses, um, third fastest growing county in the state of Ohio. So um, it's a fairly affluent county with uh, many businesses looking to locate here because of the uh, nice location between Cleveland and Akron. And you were one of the um, earlier members um, of Next Century Cities um, and one of the rare county members, uh, which there's um, a, a few. Um, you know, so that's something that, um, that you got into pretty early, it seems like. We were the uh, 50th member of Next Century Cities. And uh, as far as the cities, counties go, when you look at municipal networks, predominantly they are city-based uh, so we're a little larger, 151 miles, and we have three larger cities um, with then uh, some smaller um, towns that are also within a county. So uh, the demographics and the way that we run the network is a little different than some of the cities that uh, people may have uh, heard about in the past. Sure, and, and we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but there's one other thing that I thought was pretty interesting, and that's your email address. You guys are Fiber County. Uh, is there a story behind <laughs> yeah. that? We are. We are. Our marketing department said, you know, uh, let's set up a domain, which really talks to exactly what we're doing. And um, we actually have a sign that says Fiber County USA, and the colors of the sign um, in the lettering are the colors of each of the cities that are represented in the county. So our domain is at FiberCounty.com. So that is exactly what we're trying to do here. Excellent. So tell me how the county got started with fiber optics. About uh, 10 to 15 years ago, the county realized that uh, many corporations were asking for connectivity outside 
of the county as we went to a more global um, economy. And uh, they started to lose some businesses that could not exist on DSL or, or uh, cable. Um, so they uh, started, the county started to put together um, an analysis to look at what would be needed. And, and basically, it's a, a very standard approach. It, it is the next infrastructure. Uh, it is needed for economic development, just as a waterway or a highway or an airport um, is put in for towns to grow and accumulate business and individuals. And that's what they realized, that they had to build uh, this fiber infrastructure to attract new services into the county. Well, often when I've heard of counties doing something like this, they would put it under a CIO type position or a, uh, you know, within an existing department that already dealt with technology. Uh, It sounds like maybe you did things a little differently. Uh, it is a little different here in Medina County. There really is not. It's a. There really is not a uh, definitive central IT staff with a CIO. Uh, the different functions within the county have different IT support staffs. And really, what was done here is that this project was given to the Medina County Port Authority which is basically a um, sub-government agency that handles large projects for a county, usually on an economic development basis, and they have a little bit more leeway so, um, than, say, a government does. So in this case, um, the Medina County Port Authority was the governing body that um, was working for the county, and that is how we are lined up today. Okay, so you, you started off, you built some fiber, and, and we're going to get really into the savings and the benefits. But one of the things that that strikes me and I think is tied up in my um, history with you is that we first started communicating at a time when um, I think you, you had this great fiber asset and it was really underutilized, um, something that's changed since then, fortunately. But you know, can you tell us a little bit about the growing pains that you went through? Well, the challenge as with, um, and I'll say this is, we're not considered rural by populace, but still we have many small businesses. And Medina County still has a strong agricultural component to its economy. So in any of those type of geographical uh, locations, you still have the cable modem or the DSL being extended from the household into the business. And many people did not know what fiber brought. So it was a very large re-education of what could be done for the companies. And, and, and there were many companies that um, their, their network would go down once a month. They would lose their internet or lose their phones. And that was acceptable because they didn't know that anything else existed. So we had to re-educate, um, you know, constantly show what could be done, get consortiums together. We still have a long way to go. Um, but we are making some uh, good traction, of course, starting with larger companies. Um, and our latest is that we uh, hopefully can uh, partner with the Fiber to the Home partner um, because we believe that um, that would definitely sort of solidify what Fiber can do on a residential basis. Right, and that's a good point of clarification, I think, because I was not very clear. Um, your county network does not reach out to the home. You're not a service provider. Um, you just make sure people have the basics of what you do? We are the railroad track. So um, Medina County Port Authority decided that they did not want to get in the business of competing with carriers. 
So what they did is they put a uh, the fiber network in. It is both lit and dark services. And today we connect with um, three carriers. We'll have three more carriers connecting here within the next two months. And uh, basically what we do is we try to position the carriers. Um, they can either sell directly into the customers or we sell their services. Um, but the carriers provide everything above the transport. We strictly do the transport to the connection for the carrier. So we're the last mile and we monitor that just to, like a carrier would. But it has definitely broken down the economic barriers of a carrier having to come in and build the fiber themselves. So we are starting to really get momentum for carriers saying, this is a great opportunity. There's no financial risk for us. Uh, there's no cost to do uh, an NNI connection with us. And um, we help sell their services. And you want to just briefly describe what an NNI connection is? Sure. It's a network-to-network -network interconnection or network-to-network -network interface, depending on who you're talking with. And basically, it's a piece of our network equipment that sits on our network with a, a high-speed fiber connection to a piece of equipment sitting on the carrier's network. That's where they deliver the phone services and the Internet services, uh, firewall, managed services. Anything that basically comes across um, the fiber network is delivered at that point. So we have an NNI with each carrier, uh, and they are segmented so they don't bleed over onto each other, uh, and it works very well. This is, I think, a good point of differentiation with some other approaches that, that counties and cities have taken, which is to say that, let's assume that I'm a small business and I'm on a street. Some of those municipal and county approaches would go past the house or past the business and the uh, another business, an ISP, could lease that connection to you, but then they would have to connect from the street to the business. Now, if I understand correctly, you will actually do that part as well, if, if that's the desire of the ISP. And that's what we normally do. We have budgeted in our business plan to connect from the street uh, into the customer premise with fiber. So it's complete fiber to the premise. Uh, we put in a piece of network equipment. And then the carrier connects to our network equipment at the customer location, and we deliver the transport back to where we connect uh, with the carrier. So I want to get into some tips for others who might want to learn from what you've gone through. And, and I guess I'm curious if, if that was one of the things you learned was just that you need to go that extra mile. I think that might almost be a pun, um, but <laughs> you, need to, you need to do that final connection possibly to, to get some of the carriers more interested. You do, and you need to budget for it. It is a big piece of your capital expenditure, so you need to make sure and the customer premise equipment that you're putting in there, uh, you want to do that so you can monitor and give statistics to your carrier. So, you know, you're, you're, playing, two, you're playing two sides here. Your carrier is your customer, um, and the customer uh, is also the customer of Medina County Fiber. However, they sign their contract with the carrier, and we invoice the carrier for the transport. But we are also an advocate for that end user if they need um, to have something escalated to the carriers. 
uh, but it, it gives a support structure, a little extra level um, for the uh, for the customer. And it, again, as you said, it attracts more carriers because we are um, adding a little bit of the financial piece that would have kept them from coming into Medina County. And do you have any other suggestions for how to approach carriers, how to talk to carriers about this to encourage them to, to join a network like yours? Well, you know, the, the key is um, a lot of patience. Sometimes it'll take, uh, it took us uh, two years to get one carrier to connect. Um, you know, it, uh, I wish I had some sort of key that could unlock the solution to it. Um, but basically what you need to do is you need to find out what carriers are in the area, what type of services are being delivered, and then you need to research what other carriers outside your area have to deliver and find out if their plan has any type of geographical expansion. Um, after you get your first two or three, then the others start to realize that there's potential here. Um, and I think that's the, the real big piece. But it's just basic tenacity. It's basic block and tackling, lots of emails, lots of phone calls, and get high up on the ladder, as high up as you can go, and uh, show it from a business case where it's uh, low risk, uh, low financial investment by the carrier. And in our case, we also have the entire county supporting this network um, also financially. So um, it, it's not going to go anywhere. Right. That's you, And so as we transition into talking about the savings and the benefits, let's just set a base for um, what those benefits uh, come from. And that's um, how was the network financed and, and how is it supported? So the network was financed um, through floating bonds on the open market, uh, federal bonds, uh, recovery zone bonds, and government bonds. Um, however, uh, like any startup, it takes time for a business to, com to become completely self-sufficient, um, fully sustainable. So um, in that short term, uh, our, our um, uh uh, project plan is a five-year sustainable plan. It's, uh, I think if you talk to other network people, that's an aggressive plan, but uh, that's what we're moving toward, and we are on target. Um, any shortfall of paying back the bonds is backed by the entire budget of Medina County. So the, the county has a AAA uh, bond rating, and um, they're very secure. They run a very good budget, a good tight ship. Um, so they then give that financial support, but we are all striving to make the network uh, self-sustainable so funds from the county can be there to uh, help people in other areas too and have the, the network run on its own. And so let's tackle some of the benefits then that are, I think, a reason why we see local governments wanting to take uh, those steps. Um, let's talk about some of the cost savings first maybe um, that are resulting from the network. There are four or five major benefits. Well, let's talk about the hard dollars. Uh, we average about a $350 per month savings per customer. Uh, we have some customers saving in the thousands per month, and you know other customers, smaller ones, saving $50 to $100. Uh, we are able, through multi-dwelling units, 
or if we get a number of buildings close together where we can service the smaller customer um, and they get the chance now to have enterprise class network equipment, fully monitored, managed services, you know, the stuff that only big companies could afford before. Uh, much of that savings comes from voice. Uh, voice over fiber is much less expensive. Uh, the capacity of fiber allows you to deliver many more uh, phone lines, concurrent, or some people call it concurrent paths, um, compared to over copper. And it also gives you the capability to offer, and I'll use some technical terms here, PRI, SIP trunks, analog, digital, um, all over that fiber rather than having to change equipment or change the type of median, et cetera. So that has been a, um, a huge benefit for many of our customers that have had these large, expensive PRIs. And they can, now they can pay, too, for only what they're using rather than having to buy a bigger product. Right, and that's, I mean, to be clear, those are customers that are they're small and medium-sized businesses, I'm guessing, largely. Uh, that's predominantly correct. That is our demographics here in Medina County. Um, so are you seeing any, um, have you seen any cost savings from um, any public facilities that you've connected along the way as part of building this network? We do have um, 10 of the um, municipal buildings connected in a, in a municipal ring. So it's not just connected point to point, but they have full redundancy, which um, has been a, uh, a big help for the network bringing on critical applications such as E911 that we have running communications dispatch through the police, the sheriffs. Um, they are all on high-speed fiber now. Um, which uh, the network has only had one outage for approximately 20 minutes in the last three years. Um, so, and they are now bringing in voice for the E911 because of that. So there's been a lot of money saved. Um, I haven't quantified it from the, uh, from the public side um, because, you know, the network is owned by Medina County. So, uh, you know, they're using their own asset, if you will, but then they don't have to use commercial. I would say it was probably a 10 to 15 percent savings. As you know, government has a fairly good uh, state discount. Um, but the other piece of the public side is that we were um, granted $100,000 from the state of Ohio. Um, it was a proposal that we wrote to connect the state agencies through the state of Ohio network, ORNET, which was built for research and in public institutions. So we can bring those services directly to state agencies, and we're going to use that money for the build-out into those buildings to help save them money. And that should be another 20 to 30% savings for them. Right. And I think it's, it can be hard to figure out how do you quantify the savings of a network that's more reliable when you're talking about 911 and things like that. I mean, you know, being in Ohio, you can have some pretty horrible thunderstorms. You have some real challenges here and there, and you hope that you never need it. But um, that's it's one of those things I just like to remind people about, that it, you can quantify some of this stuff, but some of it's pretty hard. Yeah, that's very true. You know, part of it is, is not on the uh, direct money. But it's, um, it's basically on uh, the type of uh, environment you're living in, the, you know, how safe is it, how quickly can your, your safety forces respond to you, um, and it's your quality of life. And those are very hard to quantify in dollars. 
But you have quantified many other things. And so let's get back to some of those. What other, what other benefits have you created through the network? Well, we've seen um, the, um, the carriers that were here, which are predominantly copper-based or coax um, cable providers. We've seen about a 10 to 15% drop in pricing across the board. So those people that are using those services still or prefer those services are um, also um, getting a a nice uh, cost benefit from that. In one case, when we were uh, direct uh, head-to-head competing with one of the cable providers, they actually came in with a 50% price decrease uh, for about 315 users that happened to be in an apartment complex. So we've seen those savings at about as high as 50%. Um, and I and I know that for, for a fact because one of the people worked in the office where I'm at, and she came in and thanked me, even though we didn't win, um, for getting her cable <laughs> bill down. Uh, so uh, we have uh, created that type of environment too, where competition now, uh, companies and and individuals are benefiting from it. And what kind of new jobs have you seen um, that you can tell have resulted from a network-related activity? We've generated about 50 new jobs, uh, the majority of them coming from a uh, company out of Australia uh, who decided to come to Medina County rather than Cleveland. Uh, They have uh, roughly about 30 people working there. The other jobs have been through expansions um, where companies did expand um, and fiber was important to them. Uh, we have some very large projects um, that uh, have, have not signed on yet, but it would be all new building in Medina County, and we've already met with them, and some of their first requirements was a fiber infrastructure. That would be, you know, two to 300 jobs um, if those large structures um, hit. But, um, you know, the cell cycle is long, and we've met with them over the past eight to 10 months. Uh, so we're, we keep working on that. So little by little, um, the uh, economic cycle is starting to pick up. And when you talked about uh, fiber to the home earlier, I didn't imagine that, did you? Did I? <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. We, um, you know, uh, when I took this job, Chris, three years ago, uh, I started doing quite a bit of research, and uh, a lot of it, of course, actually comes through your newsletters and, and podcasts, which I think are fantastic, um, helped me ramp up. And then, of course, um, Next Century Cities with Deb Socha's information uh, was also very helpful. But I kept reading about all these cities, starting with residential plans and, and fiber to the home. So I realized that it was something of a necessity. It was never really considered um, in the network, but um, as I learned more and more, we started then reaching out across the country and talking with many fiber-to-the-home providers. Um, so we've had a couple of them here already, and they've done uh, drive-throughs, and they've brought their executive teams, and um, we're just as anxious as, as everybody else. But I think in approximately the 900 calls I've made to businesses over the last three, three and a half years, at least 95% of those people have said to me, when are you coming to my house? <laughs> so there definitely is a, a demand for it. And we just need now to, um, to convince 
the, the fiber to the home carriers that um, we have a great opportunity here in Medina County and people are waiting for it. Um, I, get, I get calls weekly uh, from associations that say, you know, we have 100 houses and we want to talk with you. So it definitely is something I would say anybody putting in a municipal network, um, don't ever lose that focus. And, and maybe that is the uh, start off point or um, even perhaps, you know, something that you work coterminously. Well, and I have to assume that in that sort of a scenario, you would probably do a handoff to the carrier in a neighborhood, right? You would not be um, building up and down the alleys and connecting every last premise with a county network at that point. That is correct. We have 125 drop-off points around our network. Um, We have already pulled all the parcels, and uh, we send that database to Fiber to the Home Carriers who overlay it on the the fiber map for our backbone and where our drop-off points are. And then they can build their financial plan by how much they would need um, to build in the area. But uh, we are open for adding more drop-off points if need be to, uh, to help the fiber to the home carriers. Great. Was there anything else that you wanted to make sure people knew about Medina County and the fiber network? Uh, like I said, a rural setting. We have a public square. Um, it's, but it's a place where now that the fiber has come to is a great place to bring your company. There are a lot of tax credits, CRAs. Um, the, uh, the cost of living is low. Uh, we have a couple companies already that connect to Austria and to Switzerland. So if your parent company is overseas, there's no problem. We can take care of that for you. Um, great school districts. And if you're a fiber to the home person, company listening to this, please give me a call and we would be more than happy to give you a tour and uh, take you out to lunch. How's that? Sure. And you, you can't you can't neglect to mention the reigning NBA champions. Uh, being That's right, right. Right there. Right there. Cleveland Cavaliers, um, just a stone's throw up I-71 and you're right there at, uh, um, at Quicken Loans and you get to watch them. So you can't beat that. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your experiences. Thank you, Chris. I uh, appreciate it and um, look forward to um, reading more of your newsletters and listening to your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Episode 220 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. That was David Corrado, CEO of the Medina County Fiber Network in Medina County, Ohio, sharing the story of the network and offering some tips for other communities. Remember, we have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us with your ideas for the show. Send a note to podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter, where the handle is at muninetworks.org. Thank you to the group Mojo Monkeys for their song, Bodacious, licensed through Creative Commons. Now keep listening for the story of Pine Tops, a small rural town near Wilson, North Carolina. You can also link to the story on PRX from our podcast page. Thanks again for listening. On Thursday night, September 15th, the City Council of Wilson, North Carolina reluctantly voted to stop allowing its municipal internet utility, Greenlight, to offer services in nearby Pine Tops. The municipal utility began serving Pine Tops this past spring after the Federal Communications Commission preempted North Carolina laws that prevented Wilson's municipal electric utility from offering Internet access to communities outside Wilson County. 
In August, however, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals sided with the state, and North Carolina again has effectively outlawed municipal broadband. When the state of North Carolina adopted the law in 2011, it provided an exemption for Wilson, where Greenlight was already serving much of Wilson's businesses and residents. The city of Wilson now has no choice but to stop serving Pine Tops or risk shutting the entire network down. Pine Tops, a community of about 1,300, could not get private providers to bring high-speed internet to town. Slow, spotty, unreliable DSL was the best offered, which kept residents in the last century and was especially difficult for local businesses. When green light came to town, the community immediately felt a positive impact. In addition to a number of new at-home businesses that finally had the connectivity they needed to operate, existing businesses signed up to improve operations. The Vic family farm invested in a new potato distribution facility that required the gigabit connections they could only get from green light. Long-distance sales have jumped, but green light service to the Vic family farm ends on October 31st. Suzanne Coker-Craig, a Pine Tops town commissioner and a local small business owner, says green light gave her screen printing business the ability to truly compete. She recognizes that the state's barriers that prevent local authority are part of the problem. This is a situation that Pine Tops and other small towns and rural areas of North Carolina are not being served by private providers with high-speed, good-quality Internet service. So we see this very similarly to how power was provided back in the 30s and 40s, you know, when rural areas couldn't get power, local governments stepped in. And this is the same thing for us. We consider that high-speed quality internet service in today's economy is the utility. And when you can't have private providers willing to do this, why not let progressive municipal governments like Wilson help us out with this? And so we think this law is really a significant hindrance. Our areas are already struggling economically, and we are losing population. This is only going to going to further that. It's not going to allow us to help ourselves grow and help ourselves pick ourselves up out of the economic slump that we are already in. Coker Craig says that the town is not taking the decision lying down. Immediately after the vote, the town board of commissioners passed a resolution calling on the North Carolina General Assembly to repeal restrictive state barriers. Pine Tops Mayor Steve Barres also appealed directly to Governor McCrory. They've just started a new Facebook page, NC Small Towns Need Internet Access. In addition, community leaders are planning more grassroots activities. They see themselves as a poster child for all rural North Carolina communities. This is Lisa Gonzalez with the Community Broadband Networks Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance.